me in saying the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge, pledge allegiance to, to the, the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Of course, today is Flag Day. Remember that? Yep. And it's also the 234th anniversary of the founding of the United States Army. That was uh, on... June 4th, 1775, that the United States Army was founded by the uh, Second Continental Congress meeting in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I guess uh, I wanted to just start out with that and talk about the fact that throughout the history of the United States and throughout the history of the United States military, there have been many great men of God who have served as chaplains. And we should be thankful to God for them. Many of them are uh, Baptists, uh, obviously not all, but uh, many of them were Baptists. And from, from the very beginning, um, they, from the revolution on, there were uh, a number of uh, important uh, Baptist chaplains who served in the Continental Army. Um, kind of interesting, I was reading uh, last night about the fact that uh, a, there was, I can't think of the man's name now, but uh, a very prominent Tory, who, who a Tory was a supporter of, of the British, of the king, and he wrote a letter back to, to England, and he said, and in it he was saying that, that you know, the spiritual leadership of, of the colonies was still with Britain. And he listed 920-some clergy who were ardent, hard, uh, uh, really hardcore Tories. And there was not a Baptist on the list. <laughs> We've been a rebellious bunch from the get-go. Um, the, if we see a chance to split something, we do. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I just found, I found that really interesting. But um, there were... Um, from, it seems as though from the very beginning of even in, in the colonies that, that there was a direct link between American independence and, and the Baptists um, always being supporters of them. And I haven't found enough yet. I'm going to find, I'm going to look for more. But ha- have you come across anything? We, we obviously don't rehearse this at all. Um, have you come across anything with Hopewell Academy? No. Okay. Hopewell Academy, I know, was the first Baptist school in, the, in what would become the United States. And I'm amazed at the number of early uh, Baptist chaplains, pastors, especially in the New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania region that went to Hopewell. And, play, and Hopewell, first of all, must have had an extremely great theological and pastoral program at that time. And they also must have been um, ardent, independent uh, patriot types because the people who came out of there, many of them went on to become chaplains in the army. Among them, um, uh, uh, William Van Horn, uh, uh, Charles Thompson, 
William Rogers. The two that really jumped out to me were um, Reverend David Jones, who was who was born in uh, Delaware, uh, and he he served at uh, Ticonderoga Valley Forge. Um, he was with uh, he was at, at Yorktown, and he was one of the uh, main. He, well, he was the main chaplain for General Gates for a while, and then Matt Anthony Wayne. And Matt Anthony Wayne, if you don't know the story of Matt Anthony Wayne, this guy, they called him Matt Anthony for a reason. And, and you know, I, I don't know where his story got lost. It's not a Christian story or anything, but, but it used to be a big American story. And that's why Marion Morrison changed his name to John Wayne. It was after Matt Anthony Wayne. But he, he got that nickname because he was a a uh, young officer at Valley Forge, and they were, they were the officers were bemoaning the fact that they uh, that the Upper Hudson was held by the British, and mainly because the British held West Point. And he said, "Well, you let me pick my men, and I could uh, I'll take West Point." And they said, "You can't take West Point." He said, "You let me pick my men, and I'll take it without firing a shot." And you pick your men, you go. And and he did. They, they took West Point without with with knives and swords, and he got the nickname Matt Anthony Wayne at that point. Um, that the the weirdest. I know I'm on a major rabbit. I'll, tell, I'll go fast. The weirdest thing. He died much later. He lived through the Revolution. Died much later up in Erie, Pennsylvania, and they buried him. And um, have I told this story before? Okay. Um, and. and and so he's buried in Erie, Pennsylvania, and his family is from the Valley Forge area, long way away, long way away. And so they said, so they um, they said he should be buried down here. I mean, we're talking like 20 years later. And so they go up, they they get permission, they're going to dig him up and move him, move his body to Valley Forge. And they get up there, and you know it's been 20 years, so there's not going to be a lot left of this guy. So they just bring a small box for his bones. And they dig him up, and the guy has not decayed at all. He must have ate a whole bunch of little Debbies filled with preservatives because he had not <laughs> decayed one bit in, in the 20 years. And they panicked. Now, there's an obvious solution. You go get a bigger box, okay? You know, but they panicked. They absolutely panicked. And so they got a big old cauldron, and they boiled him down. And they, bo- and they separated the flesh from the bones, and they poured the flesh back into the grave and took the bones back to Valley Forge. So, so Matt so Anthony. Two places. Yeah, he's buried in two places. When the rapture happens, he's going to have to pull himself together. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> um, because he's. Anyway, that, he's got nothing to do with this at all. Okay, the, uh, but um, my, favorite, my, my favorite chaplain uh, is John Gano, who. Um, was he, he had been a, he'd been a pastor in, in New Jersey, and then he'd been a pastor in in the Philadelphia area, and he he was the founding pastor of First Baptist Church in New York City, uh, which is still there and still really big. I, I don't know how they're setting today, um, but uh, if you if you got that picture of John Gano, is it up there already? Okay, John Gano um, became. The, the chaplain for George Washington's unit of the army, and he was Washington's personal chaplain. And of course, you probably all are aware that George Washington was Episcopalian, 
Um, grew up, you know, sprinkled at, at uh, three weeks as a, you know, and that and went through confirmation and everything. Uh, never, you know, the, he, George Washington is often painted as being this, this leader who was always on his knees from the get-go. Really probably not the case until he became the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, until he came under the influence of John Gano. And at that point, he becomes much more of a, um, of a, what's the word I'm looking for, devout Christian man at that point, and really, really discovers the power of prayer and, the, and, and spent, day, or spent hours every day in the scripture. Now, I often go, oh, you know, God, I just don't have time today to spend 15 minutes reading your Bible. George Washington's in the middle of the American Revolution, and he's spending hours a day in, in, uh, the, in the Bible. And one day, um, he, I know I've told this story before and, and other times, but one day he called for, for Gano to come to him, and of course, Colonel Gano shows up, and, and he says, the quote from Washington is, I've been investigating the Scripture and I believe I'm immersion to be the baptism taught in the Word of God, and I demand it at your hands. I do not wish any parade made or the army called out, but simply a quiet demonstration of ordinance. And in the presence of 42 witnesses, George Washington was baptized in the Potomac River by uh, John Gano. And this painting obviously is not not at the time. It was, it was done years later, but... Um, but it's uh, John, uh, both uh, John Gano's family have, have got the records. And later on, John Gano ends his life as, as a frontier pastor in Kentucky. And for what it's worth, in the Kentucky State, State Archives, not church archives or anything, the, uh, it's recorded that George Washington was baptized on such and such a date by John Gano and, and, and so on. He never, Washington never joined a Baptist church. He, he the rest of his life, attended with his wife, uh, Martha, to the Alexandria uh, Episcopal Church. However, that said, he never took communion at the Episcopal Church ever after that time. Which is kind of an interesting why just i just i don't know it just said that that after after that he never took communion there ever again um, the other other kind of bizarre little rabbit trail is that that church in alexandria is still there and on the sunday closest to um washington's birthday the uh, the president attends services there and, and always has, always does, with the exception of Bill Clinton. Uh, uh, Bill Clinton would not go there because that church in Alexandria was one of the uh, Episcopal churches that um, refused to ordain um, gay pastors. So Bill Clinton wouldn't go to service there. There's another little bit. Of, there you go. Did so, our president go there this year? I don't know. They never make a big deal about it. But I don't know. So that's, uh, that's my little bit about... Uh, 
Oh, one, I guess one more thing. When uh, in in you guys all know that the revolution, the final battle of the revolution took place at Yorktown in 1781, and Jones was there as was Gano, um, and both. By, by the way, in those days, these guys they carried weapons in in battle, and they didn't have any problem with having helping to have British soldiers meet their maker. Um, and and they would minister. I mean, they ministered to anybody on the battlefield. But they, but but they, they they fought. But in, it was not for two years till two years later that um, the army actually was dissolved. And um, you know the, the huge standing army because the Treaty of Paris didn't come along until 1783. And when they when when the Americans when Washington received word that the Revolutionary War was officially over, even though it had been two years since the battle, but the Revolutionary War was officially over. Um, he called together the army. There was a big ceremony. Uh, a number of the chaplains prayed. But then the official announcement that the Revolutionary War was over, that the, that the United States had officially won its independence, was made by John Gano. I think that's way cool. It's evident that Gano really had, through his life, a, an impact on George Washington. Absolutely. It's a huge impact. You know, it's, it's amazing. As you get back and look throughout history, there's certain names that stand out that are mountain peaks. But in going through this, you begin to see... God's work is done in unique ways through what we would call common people. Now, we've referred to George Whitfield. He wasn't a common person in the sense that he was unusually gifted. I still marvel. Benjamin Franklin said about George Whitfield that you could hear him preach one mile away, that just physically how he was gifted. And he would preach to tens of thousands of people. And um, in, in studying, Whitfield really started his ministry, came over from England. Well, when he was 19 years old, um, he began preaching in England. And he began preaching, um, you must be born again. It, it was... Um, it was a, a new message to them. And literally, they said that he drove, his first sermon, he drove people mad, the term they used, that there was um, such great conviction of sin. And uh, needless to say, he was run out of the Anglican church at that time. And uh, he came then eventually over to... The colonies, this was in the early 1700s. So, you know, we think of American history and we think 1776. And, but all that God was putting in place uh, in preparing and setting up so that we would have what we have. And George Whitfield was one of the, the men God mightily used. And remember... Um, there was no school. He mentioned the Hopewell Academy. That came about later. But in England, there was no 
Baptist school to train preachers. There was none of that in in the colonies at this time. And, um, and yet, through studying the Scriptures, people came to these conclusions of believer's baptism and the Baptist distinctives that we, we look to. But, we, you know, we're not naive enough to say the only people God used was Baptist, because it's clearly evident God used a lot of people. And uh, George Whitfield was one of them, that... Um, many thousands came to know Christ as Savior and the revivals that took place. But it's interesting, um, in, in seeing Whitfield's life, I just I came across this. Um, he established a list of convictions that he believed would help establish his relationship with God and keep it fresh. And he would judge himself every day by asking these questions. And this is born out of the, the John and Charles Wesley Holy Club, too, which he was a, a part of in his college days. But he would ask these questions. Have I been fervent in private prayer? Have I used stated hours of prayer? Have I used short communicative prayers every hour? After or before every deliberate conversation or action, have I considered how it might tend to God's glory? After any pleasure, have I immediately given thanks? Have I planned the business for the day? Have I been simple and recollected in everything? Have I been zealous in undertaking and active in doing what, I, what good I could? Have I been meek, cheerful, Affable in everything I said or did? Have I been proud, vain, unchaste, or enviable of others? Have I recollected in eating and drinking? Am I thankful? Am I temperate in my sleep? Have I taken time for the giving of thanks according to law's rules? And I'm curious. I don't know what William's law's rules were about giving of thanks, but... Have I been diligent in studies? Have I thought or spoken unkindly of anyone? Have I confessed all my sins? Those 15 things, daily, he would go back and review in his mind, where have I been? You know, many times we think we're doing well. A student always thinks they're doing well if they've never had a test. I'm doing well in this class. Well, then let's give a test and see how well we're doing. And he tested himself and, and really held himself accountable. And, and God blessed his discipline, his walk with God. Um, <clears throat> when he came over, his second journey over, he came to Philadelphia. And he was met in many, many cities by the, the state church people and said, no, you can't preach here. That's why he was an open-air preacher. They wouldn't allow him access to their churches. And, and God moved mightily in, in thousands of, of people coming and hearing him. But he was run out of Philadelphia. He went up to New York. Um, eventually came back to Philadelphia. A crowd of 10,000 people uh, heard him. And, and just the, the, read the accounts. There would, they said around Whitfield there would be Diligent listeners, but the farther out you would go, the less diligent until on the outer fringe there were mockers and scoffers and, 
and trying to disrupt and rabble-rousers and so on. But one of the guys writing about the, the meeting in Philadelphia says, the longer Whitfield preached, and he would preach like an hour and a half, that there just fell a quietness over not just these here, but even the outer fringes, until people were broken under conviction of sin in amazing ways, that they came to mock and disrupt, and and yet the, the power of God's Spirit uh, mightily worked. And as we said, thousands came to know Christ as Savior, and then diligent study of the Scriptures, and uh, they had a hunger and thirst for the Word of God. And, it, and it's interesting, many of them, as they started searching the Scriptures, as George Washington, then they came and said, well, no, there is an infant baptism. The Bible doesn't teach that. It teaches baptism by immersion. To the point that Whitfield, uh, later in his life, um, he commented on so many of them following the that were converted under his preaching, becoming Baptist, he said, all my chickens have turned into ducks. <laughs> I mean, and, and yet, what was the reason? And see, this is how God works. There is not any one aspect that God works through, but he brought them to salvation here. Through salvation, they had a, a, a great hunger and thirst for the Word of God. Through the Word of God, they came to truth. And there must always be a passion for truth. And, and as a result of Whitfield's preaching, Mark um, two weeks ago gave some accounts of Shubal Stearns and carrying the gospel um, into the South. Just incredible. As you, as you read about um, from his work in, in Sandy Creek, and I think Mark has some things on that, um, literally thousands of churches were raised up all throughout the South. Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches as, as we are here today. And this laid the foundation. Virginia played a key role in, in the Constitution of the United States in religious liberty. And we'll touch on that in a little bit, but I think Mark has some on the Sandy Creek. But all that, George Whitfield's preaching, their study of the Scriptures... The persecution, remember this persecution was going on very strongly, and we'll, we'll mention some more of that in Virginia here in a little bit. But uh, the work of God, um, and it wasn't some organized assembly. This was the Spirit of God working, and then He organized it. But as a wildfire spreading across the, the new nation, it was incredible. And Shubal Stearns and, um, and Daniel Marshall, two individuals that history, unless you're into this, doesn't know much about, but God mightily used them. Absolutely. They, um, and, and you're right about um, Whitfield. Just, Whitfield really played a gigantic role. And with that, with Whitfield comes... The, the, the term new lights and the, the whole born again, they didn't call it born again, they called it uh, new birth or they called it new light. 
Um, Experimental religion was another term that that you could personally know a walk with God. And, and this experimental religion that, not meaning it's something you experiment with, that you personally know that Whitfield's preaching, they said, ah, that's nonsense. But they couldn't stop it. In, in that case, experimental went to experience. Yep. And having, having that experience. It's interesting you, you mentioned Ben Franklin. At, at the end of of these gigantic sermons that Whitfield would do, they would pass a collection plate to raise money for missions to the Indians. And Ben Franklin often went to hear Whitfield preach, which is interesting because there's not a lot of evidence that Ben Franklin was a Christian. Um, but I, now we're getting back to the idea of the postmodern world versus the, you know, the modern world where, where you still acknowledge, you still absolutely there's a God and I'm going to go listen to this stuff and I'm going to know about it. And Franklin, of course, being the genius that he was, he wanted to know everything. And, uh, but anyway, every time you heard Whitfield preach, he would empty his pockets completely into the, attempt, into the collection plate. I mean, he gave everything he had with him. So, Franklin did. Franklin did. And so <laughs> Franklin went and he said, I'm leaving all my money at home. Because so I, I know that every time I hear him preach, I'm not. And so he went, took no money with him. And at, at the end of the sermon, he's begging loans from the people around him so he can put money into the collection plate. Um, it just, it, it, was, it was amazing, the, the, uh, the influence that, that he had. And, of course, one, one of the, um, two of the people that he had uh, great influence on were, um, uh, da, 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 what was the guy's name? I lost it. Here it is. It is Waitstill Palmer was was a Baptist preacher. Oh, the other thing is that that then the, these Congregationalists became known also separate Congregational churches, and then these guys who follow who became Baptists were separate Baptists. I mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. We that these were that they were separate Baptists. Um, and uh, this kid must have been a terror as a child that they named him Wait Still. Okay. Wait, still. Uh, Palmer. And, and, uh, and he got saved under Whitfield's preaching, became a Baptist preacher. And then when, when uh, Stubel, uh, Schubel Stearns uh, got saved and then became a Baptist, uh, went to, he was baptized by by Palmer, and Palmer was his pastor for a short time, and that was up that was up in New England and Connecticut, and um, while they were uh, well, anyway, uh, Stearns then becomes one of the most important preachers. He's born in seventeen. Uh, 06, lived to just before the revolution in 1771, but becomes the father of, when I say Southern Baptist, I don't mean the Southern Baptist Convention, Baptist throughout the South. Uh, they made the first stop in, in Virginia, and he and his family, and while he's there, he meets a man by the name of Daniel Marshall, who uh, ends up marrying Schubel Stern's sister, 
So they become uh, brothers-in-law. And Stern, for, for one, like one year, one or two years, I think it's one year, was a pastor in Virginia. And, well, he, wasn't a, he was a pastor for one year. They were in Virginia for a few years. Marshall was the one who became the, uh, became the Baptist, uh, or became real active in the Baptist first, and went on a missions trip to the Indians. Uh, and when he returned, convinced his brother-in-law that, that he needed to become a pastor. And it was, it was quite a bit later in life. He was um, in his late 40s uh, when, when Stern became a pastor. And while he's a pastor in, in Virginia, and Daniel Marshall's there and there are others there, a man by the name of Samuel Harris gets saved. And interesting about his salvation. Um, Harris's or, or Harris's. Uh-huh. He, um, uh, uh, the preacher was Dutton Lane, and Samuel Harris was a pretty. He was a colonel, and he was pretty renowned. And he came to the meeting, and he hid behind a pole, kind of a, uh, almost like a Nicodemus account. But he hid behind a pole, didn't want, but he he wanted to hear this. And the conviction of God's Spirit just broke his heart, and he got saved, and again, God had gifted him amazingly. They said uh, Colonel Samuel Harris um, became a great evangelist, and they said Patrick Henry could not hold a, a, an assembly's attention like Colonel Samuel Harris did, and he was mightily used, but... Out of curiosity, what is going on here? He came, he hid behind a pole at the meeting. No, no intention of, he wasn't seeking, but the Spirit of God broke upon his heart. And, and the, did you read the other thing that was really odd about that was when, as he worked his way forward in the crowd, I mean, there's a big crowd there, and he's, he's way in the back hiding, and he's dressed in his full colonel regalia, and as he's going to the front, he's losing pieces of his uniform. I mean, he's taking them off. He dropped his sword first, and then his hat, and then his jacket. And by the time, uh, by the time he made his way to the front, and he was uh, laying flat on the ground, or, uh, or not on the ground, but in, on the bench there, uh, he's, he's just down to his shirt and pants, no uh, evidence of his uh, of his military regalia at all, and he's he, he's kind of symbolically humbled himself. I mean, because even today, you know, being a colonel is is a high office. I mean, you meet a colonel that that's that's pretty big, and he and um, the account is that he's laying there yelling, "Glory, glory, glory!" Oh, you know. One of the things that was common is there was a deep contrition of sin in, I mean, these people were broken. They didn't come skipping down the aisle or whatever. I mean, there was a great, and and as an example here, there was a great humbling. And, and in a way that, you know, if you come forward to join this church, it's, you know, 
people are not going to say, oh, man, you know, he joined the Baptist church, she joined the Baptist church. That's really... It was. I mean, it, you gave up your chance of advancing in politics. You gave up your chance of, of advancing in society when you, when you joined the Baptist because the Baptists were not. They were not the movers and the shakers of the world at that time. They, they, God was greatly using them in the spiritual realm, but not at all in the in, in to, to, to affiliate with the Baptists was to really flush your career down the, down the toilet. I mean, it just really, you weren't going to go anywhere in the worldly sense. If you did, Harris, you know, he left, the, he didn't immediately leave the military, but he never became General Harris, um, and so on. So, I'm sorry? President Huckabee. President Huckabee, yeah. <laughs> uh, that didn't didn't work real well for him either. The uh, well, anyway, Schubel Stearns uh, goes on, and uh, he he's in uh, Opecken Creek, Virginia, and preached there for a while. But then um, he he gets a letter from some friends in who were from New England in North Carolina, and says says to you know a handful of people there, including the Marshall family. Let's go to North Carolina. Let's, let's do that. And so they went to um, uh, and founded Sandy Creek Baptist Church. And um, this is a replica of, of the first church there at Sandy Creek. But Sandy Creek becomes the, becomes the church that is going to be the, the beginning of the Baptists in the South. Uh, it's in North, North, Sandy Creek, North Carolina. It's out in the country. It's still there. As in, go ahead to the next couple ones. That is where the original church was. Go ahead. There's a really cool uh, thing that obviously you can't read, but tells the history of, of Sandy Creek. And go ahead. And then there's that's a picture of Sandy Creek today. Uh, you see it's not a huge church. And... Mm-hmm. I, I tried um, I tried to get a hold of their pastor, and I was unable to. Um, has an unlisted phone number. I don't know about pastors that have unlisted phone numbers, but uh, it, it's not a you know it's not a gigantic church, but is still a if from their website I would say still a conservative Bible believing. They're Southern Baptist. Um, they're not affiliated with the Cooperative Baptist, which would be the liberal side of the Southern Baptist. Um, they're very. Uh, they're, they're still a strong Baptist church, um, and from this uh, church, at least 42 other churches are started throughout the, throughout the South, throughout uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, uh, some up in, back into Virginia, out to Kentucky, and south into. Um, Georgia. Um, what else did you want to say about Schubel Stearns? Um, well, he really was used of God with Daniel Marshall. Then it sent many other preachers out. And as we said, this Colonel Harris was, um, was one that really down in the south uh, was mightily used of God. And 
we know the names Thomas Jefferson, Patrick Henry, James Madison, all from the Virginia area. And all three of those men had a profound impact on our Constitution, which um, guarantees religious liberty. But they all were very close friends, had several very close friends that were Baptist pastors that they really respected. And it was because of, of their acquaintances with them that they really pushed this, this aspect of religious liberty. And, and they saw the establishment of religion as a threat to all liberty. And it was through Virginia... And Jefferson, Madison, and Patrick Henry primarily were the thrust that we enjoy the freedom that we have. And it was because obscure, which we would call obscure, men were committed to the truth of God's Word. This Colonel Samuel Harris, um, it's, it's amazing, uh, through his preaching, um, there was a young man by the name of, of Lewis Craig that came to a service and was mightily convicted of his sin. And, and great pressure of guilt came upon him. But he would follow Samuel Harris everywhere. And at the close of the services, this uh, Lewis Craig would, would rise up and in tears assert that he was a justly condemned sinner. And unless he was born again, he could not be saved. And that others, if they weren't born again, they would spend an eternity in hell. And this happened for quite some time before he actually came to conversion. Before he, I don't understand why it happened this way, but they said he began his ministry even before he was saved. And um, in, in giving um, passionate appeals, well, he ended up with another man by the name, they, they called him... Swearing Jack Waller, he was a hellion. He was just, um, he came by his name legitimately, but he miraculously got saved and became uh, a, a great preacher. And uh, Lewis Craig and another one and Swearing Jack Waller were all imprisoned because they were holding services, preaching services. And they were imprisoned and... Um, uh, they were charged a thousand pounds to appear before the court, and um, they were they were told this: they had to promise to be released that they would not preach in the county within the next twelve months. Well, they refused to do that. They said, "No, we're not going to promise that." And uh, as they took them to jail. Um, they walked through the streets of Fredericksburg, and they were singing a song. And, and I, I found the, the whole, the song is, Broad is the Road that Leads to Death. And it, it's really a message. And they're marching to jail, these three having a trio singing this song, which is an amazing message. And these, these would be imprisoned. They would preach from the jail. They would preach through the bars of the jail. And huge crowds would come and, uh, and listen to them. And, I mean, this was antagonistic, too. There were people there 
that as they would preach, and they'd be passionate as preachers using their hands, the people against them, when they'd stick their arms out the bars of the window, they'd have knives and slit their wrists as they'd do that. And blood would be running down the walls of the jailhouses, and there'd be thousands of people there listening. And, and they realized, we can't stop them. Let's turn these guys loose. And, I mean, how passionate they were about truth. And see, Patrick Henry, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison are all seeing this and they're saying, you know, they're seeing the, the persecution that's coming. They're seeing the passion. They're seeing the truth. And uh, thankfully, there's people like Lewis Craig and Swearin Jack Waller and James Childs and all these that said, you know what, nothing's going to stop us. And one of the things they said, we've got to stop these Baptists. They're, they're cramming scriptures down everybody's throats. Um, you know, now we tend to get where, boy, we don't want to be doing that. I'll be offending anybody. Yeah, we don't want to be offending anyone. Like someone said, what's it going to do? Send them to hell number two if you offend them? The fact of the matter is, our nation, the liberty that we have, was established on people that had a passion for the Word of God. And without that, we have no hope. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that the truth goes marching on. And Lord, I just pray that you would build in us a passion for truth, a commitment to you that would be unfading. And Lord, I pray that we would realize the, the seriousness of what has gone on before us, but the seriousness of the battles that go on today. And Lord, may you find us passionate for your cause, for we pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. Amen.